0: Hello and welcome to Under the Skin with me, Russell Brand. Coming up is Jay Shetty, the popular online creator. And I would say, what would we call Jay? I'd say he's a, a shimmering spiritual guide. Have you looked into the man's eyes? Beautiful, glassy blue pools. He's a friend of mine and his Instagram account is full of spiritual insight, glory and wonder but you'll learn a lot more about him, his former life as a monk, in a minute. Remember, in just a few weeks, Under the Skin will be on the Luminary platform, which is a subscription model. Check out my videos in which I describe and explain why we have made this decision to work with Luminary, an excellent platform, hosting some wonderful content such as Lena Dunham, Trevor Noah, Caramo, who I like very much, We've got some great guests coming up. Hollywood movie stars, I'm going to call them. Ben Stiller, he's going to come on. Jim Carrey, that's going to be great. I'd like Oprah Winfrey to come on if you don't mind. And who else would we like? Eckhart Tolle, Deepak Chopra. There's lots of people to come on. You tell us who you want on, we'll get them. We're going to be in America for a few months, so you let us know about that. Thanks for your comments about us working with Luminary. And uh, thank you for keeping us informed about your feelings. Now, remember, I'm going to be doing some live shows in Los Angeles. So watch out for my social media. I'll be talking to you about that. Go to the YouTube channel to watch some of these spiritual videos where I talk about, well, concepts such as gambling or gratitude and just give you the benefit of stuff I reckon might be true off the top of my head. Now, to tell you the truth, I've worked on nothing but dealing with my own madness for many, many a long year. So uh, watch those. You can go to the my YouTube channel. What's that called even, the YouTube channel? Russell Brand, complicated stuff. <laughs> and uh, you can follow me, can't you, on all my social media, True Russell Brand on uh, Instagram, at Rusty Rockets on Twitter. We should probably align all these platforms um, and use the hashtag under the skin if you want to talk about this podcast. Hey, last week it was... The lovely Douglas Rushkoff media commentator, uh, student of post-modernity and post-structuralism. And uh, I would say a man with great warmth and wisdom and some wonderful ideas. But don't take my word for it. Not when Connor Turland at Connoropolis said, worth every minute of your time, this conversation. Moments brought me close to tears and feeling closer to myself and to all of you. Thanks at Rushkoff and at Rusty Rockets. Nice, thanks, mate. Rasmus Slatis, A.K.A. at Rabison, go listening to Rusty Rockets and the always brilliant Douglas Rushkoff in an overpacked, delayed train somewhere between Copenhagen and Stockholm. People just travelling around Scandinavia, living their lives, hoping to make it to the ferry to Helsinki. How look at what's he doing? This guy, Rasmus. Rasmus, sit still. Stop going to Scandinavian capitals. The levels of inspiration and gratitude. All right, I mispronounced the word. I'm so sorry. I'm not perfect. Okay. if you want a perfect podcast, you're going to have to go to some perfect dimensions within the limitlessness of, you know, the infinite multiverse and find a perfect podcast. Or you could listen to Philosophize this. I love that. Yeah, my new favourite. Is he going to come on the podcast, the bloke off that? I'd like him to. Um, and, uh, yeah, the level... Erasmus continues while trekking across Scandinavia. The levels of inspiration and gratitude know no limits. Beautiful. I believe in Team Human. Joel Pickanon. First time I hear this Douglas guy... What a genius, and at the same time, such a warm-hearted guy. Loved it. I like that. There's a certain aggression and oomph in Gerald Picadon's, uh compliment. Sean Fletcher, this is undoubtedly one of the best under-the-skin episodes yet. Thank you both. Well, I really enjoyed it, and I learned a great deal from it. Next week, there's a bloody good one with Wendy Mandy, spiritual healer, soothsayer, and interdimensional traveller. That'll be next week. But now, let's go to the conversation with me and the beautiful... Jay Shetty I've been on Jay's podcast Jay's been on mine it's a podcast transactional universe we live in now if you've not got my book mentors yet or if you've not listened to it as an audible book no audio book, possibly on audible uh, then you should if you've not seen Rebirth on Netflix you can check that out or you can just do what you like just do whatever you want realizing that all of the things you're trying to achieve through the material world and relationships with them can be achieved through a connection to a we could say a higher force but i recognize that higher is conceptual and even force you know all language is conceptual but that you can access the things you're looking for materially through drugs or even love of another human being through a connection to your innermost self so that's nice to know isn't it there's real freedom in that though you know it does take quite a lot of ascetic work to get there i understand but enough of all that let's talk to jay shetty on under the skin trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not oh, a successful that, route. yes that's, that's that's exactly right we're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss doesn't look like an ideology what's beneath the surface of people we admire of the ideas that define our time the history we are told and welcome to russell brand under the skin Welcome to Under the Skin, Jay Shetty. Jay and I have been friends for a long while now. Many of you will already be familiar with Jay because of his excellent motivational and developmental videos on Facebook and YouTube. Jay, thanks for coming on Under the Skin to talk with us.
1: Well, no, Russell, thank you for having me here. I'm grateful to be with you. Good. I'm, I
0: always enjoy your company. Now, the last, what was, I had a wonderful experience. I'm good friends with the uh, American actor, film star, writer, Jason Siegel. And recently he sent me a video uh, that said, check this out, right? And uh, it was your video uh, where it's the guys in the airport sharing the cookies. Will you talk us through the narrative of that video just uh, so people that have not seen this video get a, a, a flavor of what it's about?
1: Yes, absolutely, and I had no idea that he had seen it, so that makes Oh, me. yeah, he was well into it.
0: I mean, it's one of those things he sent to me, and it's interesting for me, when I'm friends with somebody, and then people, you know, independently send me... I haven't obviously known about you and your stuff for a while now, but, like, Jason sent me that, and I was like, oh, wow, everything's starting to connect, I felt. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's awesome. I'm really happy to hear that. So, yeah, that video was me looking at how we instantly judge... Or create impressions on something without thought so we're so used to in our life having instant judgment defining a moment and giving it a label good or bad in the moment and I thought how do I present a concept to the world where we can laugh at ourselves and realize that sometimes our instant judgment or our instant labeling processor isn't always correct how do we how do we get that so this script or narrative that I shared in this video is around a gentleman who goes to buy these cookies because he feels like having a few cookies because his flight's delayed. And he sits down to eat these cookies and the gentleman opposite him, where you're sitting right now, starts to take cookies out as well. And he's thinking, how's this guy? And the guy looks a little rugged. He looks a little scruffy. He doesn't look put together. So naturally all of our biases, our unconscious biases start coming up and stemming up. And we start thinking, oh, he looks a little shady. Or maybe he doesn't have money. That's why he's taking my cookies. And we have this impression of i me and mine these are my cookies how can he take them only to realize when he leaves that your cookie box was in your bag and that gentleman was sharing his cookies with you and then this person has this epiphany or this moment of realizing how quick he was to judge but how wrong he was and i think all of us in different ways have different moments in our life where whether we misjudged a person the first time we met them Or we misjudge someone because of the first thing they said to us. Or we had a friend that now is our best friend, but our first impression was, oh, they're a loser. And all of a sudden now we think they're amazing. And even if it isn't a self-contained story, as in
0: your rather lovely modern parable of the airport cookies, it may be that in time you would learn, oh, no, this person... Did like even say the guy had been taking the cookies and they were the protagonist's cookies maybe in the future you would learn things about a person that would make that entirely acceptable absolutely kind of everything that everyone does kind of makes sense when you know enough about them kind of idea totally Jason sent me that he really enjoyed it obviously and I got a, a kick out of it and then we joked for ages about why are these two grown-ass men sat in the airport eating cookies? <laughs> <laughs> Four or five cookies each. Like I mean, my, I cut myself off at three cookies. That's it. Anyone that's having more than that, you're going back
1: for more cookies. I, I think it came from my addiction to chocolate. Clearly. Yeah, I think that was me. That's what you're expressing. My, yeah. That's <laughs> my, what's coming out yeah. through that.
0: How did you come up with the idea for to present uh, your idea of acceptance and challenging your own biases and tendency to judge through this simple motif of the mistake around the cookies? How did you come up with that idea?
1: Yeah, so all of my videos are based on three key elements. So every one of my videos is based on a scientific piece of research or a study. So sometimes I'll read a study, and it will share a fascinating fascinating point about human behavior the human mind and how we make decisions and i remember at the time and this was a while ago before i made the video but i read a study which was talking about how we like to judge and label every moment and every event in our life so we say things like i'm having a bad day right and you might have just had a bad minute but you said you had a bad day or you say i've got i'm having a bad year when mm. actually you just had a bad month Mm. And so we have this ability and it's a high high volume frequency in our lives, but we're always judging moments, days, et cetera. So that's where that study planted the seed in my mind. And then I was speaking to my friends. So the second element I have in all of my videos is I try and find a reference of that study in my real life experience. So when I'm sitting with a friend and they're complaining or they're bringing out one of their points of challenges or problems that they're experiencing. So I remember a lot of friends were saying that they feel... That they are too quick to judge and that people need to be given a benefit of the doubt and we need to be a bit more open so that's where the real-life experience came in and the third thing is I try and give a piece of wisdom that I learned as a monk or a piece of wisdom that I believe is timeless and one of my favorite thoughts from Martin Luther King is if you want a new idea read an old book and so I really try and find a lot of my ideas or values or principles that I'm sharing in my videos from timeless wisdom or wisdom that I believe is universally acceptable and has a timeless voice. So those are kind of like the three elements of every video I make. And what old books? <laughs> uh, many different ones. The Bhagavad Gita is probably one of my favorite books. It's, it's been such a huge part of my personal journey and personal life. Uh, many other religious texts as well. So the Bible has been a big part of my study. Spent a lot of time with the bible and and then it can just be thoughts and ideas even of the last two thousand years so stoicism a huge fan of marcus aurelius meditations that's been a huge book for me that i've studied and sometimes old can just mean 50 years or 100 years ago too Mm. but those are some of the bigger ideas that i think have had more prominent effects in my life so vedic and stoic knowledge has probably been the most influential interesting when did you start becoming interested in these ideas where are you from mate and stuff so i'm from london i grew up in a place called woodgreen in north london and my my backgrounds very much my parents practice certain religious rituals but not religious in the overall sense i grew from up eating meat and hindus or what hindus yeah my parents my parents are from a hindu background and but hindu they really do too. eat meat and stuff so yeah not anymore they used to they used to so i grew up in a, in a meeting household and in wood green in wood eating green meat yeah in eating meat Yeah, and then and just you're to, basically animals i was basically an animal in wood green yeah <laughs> and then yeah growing up growing up as a typical north londoner and not really having any interest in anything apart from money the opposite sex and and and, ha- and pleasure i guess not even happiness just pleasure mm. but then i really started to get fascinated in my teens My father became very spiritual when I was 10 years old and I actually saw that as very weird because- Why did he do that? I think he went through, now when I look back on hindsight, he went through his sort of like midlife crisis journey search at the age of 40 where he was married, had two kids, had a decent job in the city, but didn't feel satisfied and didn't feel fulfilled. And so he went off and I was 10 years old, he went on his search. So he went from everything from Reiki and healing to Church of Scientology through to all the religious truths and was just searching for answers. And when he did that, that was actually quite alien and weird for me and my family because we thought, oh, he's just gone mad because I guess it was my first experience of what a midlife crisis or midlife journey looks like. So that actually deterred me from spirituality because it was almost like he was letting the family down and it was tough for my mom and all the rest of it. So that was, that was kind of how my teens were spent. But then I got fascinated by it because I remember it was one Christmas And we used to celebrate Christmas every year. We used to wrap presents, have a Christmas tree. And one year I just felt like a hypocrite. I was just like, I don't know anything about Jesus. And I don't know much about Christianity. I was about 15 years old. And I was like, but we celebrate Christmas. Like, why do we celebrate Christmas? So then I started, I I remember I went to church that year uh, on Christmas day and Christmas Eve, just because I felt like a hypocrite. And I felt that I should at least understand or try and take an interest in what I was doing. And that really opened it up. At the same time, I was trying to date this muslim girl in london and she told me that if i didn't read the quran i couldn't date her and so i remember just just wanting to be with this girl and going okay i'm going to read the quran if that's what it takes so i read the quran just so that i could talk to this girl about what was in the quran and it was really fascinating how i was reading all these books out of different so i was reading about christianity out of guilt i was reading about the quran out of lust and then and then i started reading the Bhagavad gita because that was the book my dad told me to read and that was more natural in my tradition so i thought okay let me pick that book up as well and so that's yeah that's kind of how i got fascinated by all of it
0: so you're a teenage kid you're learning about krishna consciousness because your dad's midlife crisis mental breakdown or mental breakthrough depending on how you see it breakthrough gives you an insight into that you are Interesting to Christianity because the secular culture that you grew up is resourced from Christianity, and you just became curious. The Quran because you fancied a Muslim girl, so. Wow. So you were bought into it by sort of the most peculiar, like, and, and with these first brushes, with these uh, religious or spiritual texts, what was your interact? How was your curiosity rewarded? Was it or did you what did you find in there then? Can you still recall?
1: Yeah, I think on a personal level, I value deep thought because I loved rap music. So I used to listen to a lot of rap music growing up. And so people like Tupac, Eminem, Nas, etc., Their lyrical abilities and their lyrical expression was a huge part of me growing up and I used to spend a lot of time writing lyrics myself and playing with words and I always enjoyed expressing things through poetry or spoken word and when I read these books a lot of them felt like poetry and spoken word there were a lot of uh, not just rhyme but there was a lot of creative expression there so I almost was very interested or intrigued because of the way the philosophy was being communicated but I wouldn't say I was looking for it or seeking or any of that sort i was just like oh this is impressive this is interesting thought maybe i can apply it in my music or maybe i can use it here Mm. it was less about the search for knowledge or wisdom it was more about oh this could be cool to talk about here or this would be interesting to extract from
0: and when did it begin to change when did your attitude towards theological texts or great uh, uh, spiritual works change from a kind of utilitarian curiosity that it could be magpied into a hold on a minute there's something in here that's going to alter me
1: so I think the big thing for me was the, the first time I met a monk and it's something that you can usually you can't ask someone like, "Oh, when was the first time you met a monk?" Ah, but- <laughs> my first monk! God, I was just a slip of a girl then, back in Kent, picking apples on the coast.
0: No, so tell me, what was your what was your first no, experience?
1: So, so I remember I was around 18 years old, 17, 18 years old, and I found out from a friend that this monk had been invited to speak at a university, and I was pretty uninterested to go I didn't wasn't really fascinated by it and I actually remember saying to my friend as long as we go out afterwards I'll turn up to the event so if we go to a bar as afterwards, usual dragged drink. even to, to the feet of a monk by lust <laughs> yeah literally and so he said yeah I promise you and he was getting into spirituality and interested by these things so I went along and I was captivated who was it? So this man's name is Gorangadas. He lives in India. hes I think you might have met him at the eco-village. So he built the eco-village. Ah. So you might have met him when you went there. In Mumbai. In the, Mumbai. The Krishna Consciousness eco-village where it's like
0: 100% carbon footprint free. They grow their own fru- fruit and veg yeah. using, let's face it, human poo. <laughs> like, uh, like it's uh, those animals there. They're growing Fragrant plants. flowers. It's sort of amazing place. It's sort of beautiful, isn't it? Like, it is. I expect you're like me thinking, what systems could we replicate in order to save the world? absolutely and that seems like one so you met what's so I met him so, name again? Gauranga. So, Gauranga. so
1: he came to he was speaking and just just to put it in context for everyone listening this man is Indian he has a strong Indian accent he's not necessarily externally attractive to the kind of person I'd be attracted to. At that time, I was attracted to... Tupac. Yeah, exactly. And women. Right, and rags to riches stories. I loved celebrities and influencers Mm. and people who'd made money. Like, that's who I looked up to. People who'd gone from nothing to something. Mm. And then I'm here listening to this man wearing robes and I'm totally captivated. I'm just like, wow, he's so fascinating. And the reason that he was fascinating is because he was talking about selfless service. And he talked about how real meaning, real happiness, real fulfillment from life comes when you're able to plant trees under whose shade you do not plan to sit. So you want to give shelter to others. You want to provide things for others without expecting something back from them. And at that time, that idea just penetrated through my whole being. Why? Why, when it's directly contradictory to your experience up to that point, why is this message relevant? So I think two things. One thing is I was looking for a thrill in my teens, and that's when I was getting involved in all sorts of wrong ideas, wrong activities, or wrong in the sense of things that we wouldn't recommend or want our children to what get involved in. do you mean, drugs, in. sex, fighting? But totally, yeah, all of that. Violence, um, petty theft, all that kind of stuff. And I wasn't doing it because I wanted stuff. I was doing it because I wanted a thrill in life. And when I saw him and saw the way he was living he had made that process thrilling Like he looked happy he looked more happy more content more fulfilled than anyone I'd ever seen on top of that he was extremely charismatic and and I just thought I want to get to know this man and then I found out that he'd given up jobs at some of the biggest companies in the world and he went to IIT and had studied at IIT which is the MIT of India the Indian Institute of Technology he was like a gold medalist at this place and he'd given that all up to be a monk to serve humanity and i thought wow that's that's unbelievable because he's given up everything that everyone that i know is chasing but he's happy and he's found meaning and he's found that fulfillment that i feel is just emanating from who he is so it was the first time in my life where i'd gone from not looking up to someone who went from nothing to something but someone who'd gone from something to nothing and and i and that was a massive paradigm shift moment for me and and a massive moment of just wow there is more out there and and I constantly say this and I say it often it's you can't be what you can't see I would not have wanted to be a monk if I didn't see a monk who was fulfilled and happy and had had this power about him and up until that point anyone that I'd seen that was rich or successful or beautiful or had a beautiful looking model girlfriend or whatever it was they still didn't emanate that happiness for me so I'd saw that very early on not in the extreme sense I didn't have celebrity friends or anything but from what I saw, I could very clearly see that material things weren't making people deeply happy. And he was someone who had given that up and seemed happy to me.
0: Do you think everybody sees this? Do you think everybody knows this? I suppose we can infer from our culture that generally people don't. I mean, there's a growing Interest in reframed, repackaged, retold spiritual stories. I think much of your success is because you're finding ways to convey these uh, narratives that are appealing, not esoteric, not covered in dust, situated in recognizable airports, except for who eats that many cookies (laughs) in the middle of the day, only a sick food addict. Um, So, so like, you know, like, so uh, people. All of us have that craving, and I I, I obviously recognise it myself. I recognise that... It w- But it, t- it seems to have taken me longer than you, for one thing, and it seems to have required more extreme examples and more extreme personal experience. I don't know, because I don't know what your life's like. In fact, let me find out a little more. So this period, dude, like, you're growing up in Wood Green, your dad's having sort of, like, you know, becoming curious about spirituality because of his, like, you know, an experience I identify with, because I feel like I've had a kind of version of it, a kind of mental breakdown or, you know... Breakthrough, whatever, I love Breakthrough, let's do yeah. breakthrough. And then... um. But, but what when you're what are you doing? So you're hanging out in um, Wood Green, going out in fast cars, trying to pick up girls, maybe having a fight, doing little bits of coke and stuff.
1: Yeah, pretty much. You just <laughs> summed it up. It was I was just an experimenter growing up. I just. I guess, coming from an Indian household, my parents are fairly more liberal than traditional. Mm. But Indian traditions of protection are still there. Like, don't have a girlfriend, just be good at school. Like, that's, that's, the, that, Indian that's the Indian moment. For, for a young man, it's like, don't have a girlfriend. There's some what? Indian <laughs> yeah. men outside there nodding. They're like, yeah, we'll that's nod. the deal. Yeah. Be good at school. Yeah, be good. But get good grades. And it was get good grades, don't have a girlfriend, and don't think about anything else apart from getting good grades because life's just about getting good grades, getting a good job, and then figuring out the rest of it.
0: Is your Indianness? important in this country did you feel like like uh being not a white person
1: is a what is that does that affect you you know it's really interesting i try and look back on it a lot now because of what's being talked about now but i just i never felt that way i personally never felt it maybe there was a little racism when i was under 10 or whatever it was but nothing enough for me to kick up a fuss about or feel different I've, i've always felt happy in britain and and wherever i am for that matter i've never really felt held back by my background or ethnicity and there are always i mean there's always tiny moments in everyone's life where you may get bullied or someone may call you something that you don't want to be called etc but you know race is not the only one
0: i suppose because like what you said about not labeling a bad day on account of a bad minute maybe you don't look especially to belong to stories about race because i suppose according to your you can't be what you can't see motif that if you allow us to be determined by those kind of divisive ideologies whether you're the victim or the perpetrator it kind of suggests a realness Mm. to that separation that's hard for us to overcome whether we're whatever ethnic origin we have
1: yes absolutely and my parents never let me feel it either So Mm -hmm. my parents never built that story in my mindset that we were disadvantaged because of anything. And I think that was very prominent for me, that my parents never let me feel I had a disadvantage because of my background or ethnicity or anything for that matter. I was obese growing up and that wasn't a disadvantage. You you mentioned that before. Yes. I'd like to see a photograph.
0: You know, people that are just listening to the podcast (laughs) won't know that Jay is ridiculously handsome. (laughs) He's got the eyes of Christ. And a sort of haircut out of, I'm not sure which member of the band <laughs> Harry Styles used to be in, possibly Zayn, but it could be one of the others. Like, so that's what what Jay looks like now. But you, I, I was a, a tubby kid myself. Really? Oh, I didn't God. know that either. I've not from, seen those. My God! From like a uh, from eleven to fifteen, I was uh, uh, sort of insulated in sort of chubbiness. Oh wow! I had right no idea. Right for puberty, people used to think I was a, like
1: a chubby little girl. Yeah, mine was, was. Yeah, mine was from like seven to fifteen.
0: to It's yeah. not a good time it's to go good, chubby. is no, it? No,
1: definitely not. Definitely. Well, it was good. It, ah, it go was, on. I think it was good for me because I remember and this is like one of those moments I remember being 10 years old in the school playground the cutest girl at school had just found out that I fancied her like every other guy at school liked her and I remember a group of girls standing behind me in the playground just taking the mick out of me and taking the fun out of me saying oh how can Jay think that he could be with her because he's so ugly and fat and all the rest of it and 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 I look back at that and I'm so happy it happened because I think it's, it's let me be more compassionate, let me be more empathetic, it's let me not be egotistical, it's, it's, it's humbled me and made me more grateful and realise how much hard work it is being any different, any way that we are. Mm. And so more accepting of reality. So I'm not upset about it at all. It's something that I think helped me. at the time you felt ashamed and diminished and worthless. I, I, yeah, I did. Not because of my weight, just because of, of how I was hearing that and how I was being treated. So, mm. yeah, definitely, naturally.
0: It's interesting to try and find a, an identity from that point. And I think natural to try to cultivate something that feels distinct from it. And if you're yes. like a fat little kid, you think,
1: I think I'd like to be glamorous now. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And I think my thing was music. I really enjoyed music. And so that was my outlet. And that's what I used to profess as to who I was, et cetera, and define my identity through it.
0: And yet, you. Some point during this, uh, the keen-eared listeners will have noted that you become a monk all of yes. a sudden. So, presumably, this is after your
1: experience with—is it Garanga? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, like this. So, what happens, mate? So, I ended up getting so enamoured by him that I ended up spending then all my holidays from university with him, living in India as a monk. So, I would do my university term, and then half my summer would be spent interning at a corporate organization. So I'd be going out to bars and steakhouses after work and being in a corporate environment. And then for the rest of the summer holiday, spending it living as a monk in India with him because I was so fascinated by what he'd learned. And so I, I always describe it as almost like my first time I tested both the worlds against each other of, of living a very materially fruitful life versus a very spiritual life. And, you know, I was, I was and I still am, but same person with the same desires. But I was testing. I I really wanted to see whether what he practiced worked and would it work for someone like me. And a lot of people around me were just like, Jay, you're not a monk. Like, Why are you doing this? Like, Why are you wasting time being spiritual? But I was just like, look, if he has something that I don't know about yet, I need Mm. to experience it and test it out.
0: I'm writing about mentorship um, like now that book is out and I talk about the point of mentorship is that you see through others something that you can't quite understand that that you're not going to realise in yourself unless they sort of show you where it is that they can hold something for you that you yourself can't hold so obviously this man is what the first mentor you had the first guru yeah
1: I feel he was like the first Male role model I had as well. Mm. Like someone that I really looked up to and thought, oh, wow, this this man knows what he's doing. And his demeanor and his charisma and his communication and everything that he'd developed became a big part of the identity that i felt fascinated by
0: sometimes when i feel like i meet someone that's all holy in
1: that yes. i don't feel like i can be blunt about listen i'm
0: thinking about sex the whole time i'm yeah. looking at porn yeah. i like you know i don't feel like i can be that candid right. did you
1: feel that you could be i could with him because i feel like he wasn't he wasn't like the old wise sage he was still when i met him so now he's what 40 to 45 so when i met him 13 years ago he's like 30 years old 33 he's like a young guy he's fairly young and he dedicated his life since he was 21 22 when he finished at university so he'd been doing it for like 10 12 15 years already by the age of 33 or whatever he was when i met him so he was still accessible and he was also very real And he was also just much more accessible in that way. I think if it was someone who was 60 or 70, then I would have felt a lot more uncomfortable. Yeah, when
0: people see... I mean, I'm fascinated by, you know, by people that have assumed a religious identity. Not that we don't all assume identity. Not even me in my sort of casual clothes I'm wearing now. It's a type of identity. I I, I recognise that. But, like, you know, when... Like, you know, both of us, we share an important friend, Radhanath Swami, who's been on this podcast, who's a great uh, teacher and mentor also in the krishna consciousness movement which i'm guessing is what your father got into is that right is yes that's that yeah, your absolutely. first so absolutely. what you were going down back to divanta manor and hooking up with all that and yeah the krishna consciousness movement if you've heard of it, it probably because george harrison was into it the beatles were into it uh, as a whole for a while and uh, like george Harrison's, like sort of stayed a devotee for um, all of his life And it looks like it's near kind of, I guess, where you're from, Watford. And it's a sort of a big sort of spiritualist movement in this country and around the world. So that was like, that's your, is that still, do you resist defining yourself by particular religious tradition because you feel like it prevents other people from having access to what you're saying?
1: Yeah, I, I personally also having become a, I feel like I've become even more of a seeker since being involved. And that's opened me up to alternative ideas, alternative ways of thinking, learning from all different traditions wherever I can. And, and I think that's a really important part. I think the challenge with being an immature seeker in my definition of it is you find something, it sounds cool, and you go, that's it, there's nothing else. Mm. And then a real seeker goes, well, that is it, but how can everything else even enhance this and make this even greater for me? if this is where my faith is or this is where my belief system is. So I'm someone who genuinely loves learning from people from all different walks of life and backgrounds because I feel if I was presented with a deeper, more meaningful philosophy and life structure, I would adopt it. That's why, because I'm open to that. It's the challenge that
0: we all face in a sense because... I'm myself resistant to precluding other religious ideologies. I don't want to sort of be tacitly saying, oh, people that are Muslim are wrong or people that are Christian are wrong or Jewish or Buddhist or whatever, uh, because like you imply with your early... Uh, interactions with great texts, the thing that's fascinating about them is they're all saying, We're all one, mm-hmm. be kind to one another. Totally. Like the things that I feel like the things that are the same about the great religions are the most important things. And yes. the things that are different, we should look at where those things might be cultural inflections or historically relevant or totally. pertinent to that time. Like, oh, yeah, probably not best to eat that kind of meat at that time. Yeah. Best not to wash your hands in that kind of way at that time. Probably best not to involve yourself in them sexual practices at that time. Like a lot of these things are sort of just cultural, totally. and the cultural things-
1: traditional creations and hmm. ideologies that evolved from people coming up with stuff. And I completely agree with you. I think the universal and it's true, right? Like we're some people, I, and think- we've come up with some stuff. <laughs> I, I, I genuinely feel like that. I, I think about that with every rule I ever hear. I'm just like, who came up with that? Like who yeah. came up with the ideology we work five days a week and have two days off? I don't know who ever came up with that. I just Well, the weekend apparently was quite recently achieved through the trade union movement. Someone
0: (laughs) told me it wasn't that long ago. You weren't even allowed that. And then proceeded that there was serfs and slaves and stuff. And you're quite right. I mean, so you are obviously, like me, are quite optimistic about the possibility of change. But also, I think, like me, you sense that it's going to come from a spiritual tradition. I think people would be surprised that you and I prayed before we did this podcast. That's like, I don't don't imagine that happens in a lot of, like, we both sort of uh, look on the surface like secular Men we don't yes. look like people that go around praying and stuff, openly. Not. Yeah, but definitely it's an an not. interesting thing, isn't it to have those kind of interactions
1: yeah absolutely i I remember you were meditating before Joe Rogan podcast too ah. when I saw that video ah and and I saw you do that. I remember Joe Rogan asking you why you know why you did that and what you were doing, and i was just I just think that we are trying to intentionally and consciously do the activities we are, and I think being limited by what you wear or how you dress and defining yourself in a certain category, if that's going to alienate people or make what you're saying less accessible. And also just being ourselves. I think, I think any sorts of dress or any sort of, whether it be, yeah, dress or appearance or any of that, if it's taking you away from who you actually are and how you like expressing yourself, then, then that kind of contradicts being able to be authentic. And being mm. real, so like, I feel more authentic wearing this than I did wearing my robes when I was a monk. I've, did I've... you
0: have a shaved head?
1: When yes, you was I a did. Monk? I did. I did. The you first got time. got pictures of it. I do. Well, we met like that. I did do. We? Yeah, the first what? time we ever met. You I were had... monked up. Yes. Oh. Yeah, the first. Time... But I have two pictures because everyone always asks me, "Did you document your journey?" And I'm like, "Well, we didn't take selfies when we were monks. <laughs> so I wasn't even allowed a smartphone. So it's it's interesting how, yeah, the, I have I have two pictures. I have two pictures that are, that are on the in, internet. You can find them anywhere, yeah. Full monk gear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm Thank all you.
0: Fascinated, not at all. I'm fascinated by that because, you know, because my, uh, I'm curious. I often feel like when my own life so feels, bless you, unfulfilling, I feel like, um. Like, is that what I should be doing? You know, now, like, it's a little late now. I've got a wife and two children. So, like, you know, that's not my journey no more. But, like, uh, you know, because hedonism hasn't worked, because excess hasn't worked... I feel like Mm. uh, and like because the people I aspire to uh, and I'm attracted to are mostly people Mm. that have become like lived what would be considered extreme spiritual lives in the context of our time but probably aren't extreme spiritual lives given that the reality of all of us is we spend all our time in our bloody head thinking worrying getting anxious being making judgments afraid and if you don't make dealing with that your priority then don't matter if you've got a nice car or nothing you're not going to enjoy it anyway even more simple things like that like going on a walk i go on walks and i'm not even looking at anything I, 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 oh there's a tree i'm just like worrying or thinking about i'll probably look some porn when i get in yeah. you know, like, i'm not like present for the walk mm. you know so like okay let's get back to your deal mate now like well some of the other times we've been talking like let's get down to some nuts and bolts your practice now you don't swear that's pretty yes, cool yeah I'm
1: with- i haven't sworn since i was 16 or something like that why well I really believe that everything we say uh, that beautiful thought from Gandhi where he said that when what you think what you say and what you do are in line, then you'll experience harmony. And, and I've really taken that to heart. And it's it's this powerful spiritual principle. And it really means what a you, lot think, to me. what you say. say and what you do are aligned. Mm. And so for me, any form of language, any form of your emotional vocabulary is building your mental reality. And I think people forget that their vocabulary is defining their life. You are creating your life on a daily basis by the words you use. So for me, and, and I'm not saying that I feel that way about everyone else. I'm saying that's how I feel about that word. Someone may say, oh, when I say a swear word, it, it makes me laugh. For me, it doesn't. That I would only swear when I felt bad i felt something negative towards something so for me that had negative emotions negative connotations and negative uh, intention attached to it so i wanted to remove anything from my vocabulary that i felt was negative so even as simple as and i've done this very recently but it's changed my life instead of me saying i'm busy or it's been a busy week i say i'm having a productive week and i feel different when i go to bed just by that simple change i go to bed thinking yeah i've had a really productive day today rather than going god i had a busy day today like, i don't want to wake up tomorrow i'm gonna to have a busy day tomorrow and so that simple emotional vocabulary change has just catapulted my mind into feeling excited and enthusiastic all the time so
0: in a sense you see your like uh consciousness as a malleable kind of computer and the you, you the coding that you put in is going to have behavioral uh, uh, and actual consequences i like that i like that mate uh, what about the other thing? You meditate and chant for two hours a day. Is that right? Yes, That's yes, A lot in it.
1: Yeah, it's a lot, but you know. What the time m- are you getting up? I get up at about five thirty every day. Six, six. So not that early. Not it's like Marky Mark Wahlberg. He's up at four o'clock no. doing push ups. No, I can do that. I can too do that. Much. I like my sleep, Me and I feel too. sleep's important for the brain. Sleep's important for my life. It, I love it in there. Great. Yeah, so do I. I love sleep. It's great for my creativity. I couldn't sleep any less, so I try and sleep eight, eight and a half hours a night too. So I just yeah. try and sleep earlier. I'd
0: sleep more if I could. I'd yeah, do like, so would I. I'd, I'd like 16 to 18 hours. Your kids do your kids wake up? They're not having yeah. that. They yeah. won't let me. Like, they're in the room all the time, the dog getting on the bed now. It's chaos. Yeah. What happened is, because you are manifesting your reality, you're clearly right about that, Jay. And what I did is I, I thought, oh, I'm half lonely. Well, all right. <laughs> Careful what you wish for. Now there's bloody dogs and cats and babies. Every single surface is covered in poo or hair. It's absolute madness in oh, there. Oh no! Well, there you go. So you've yeah. developed. So you've after your experience of becoming a monk, you have extracted some
1: of these practices. Why did you stop being a monk? Uh, two things. One was a self awareness piece of. I came to realizing that I was quite, I'd say I was quite rebellious and independent, even as a monk. A lot of part of a monk's life is conforming and accepting authority and following a path, and those are all beautiful things for people who 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 like those things. For me, it was a great training ground. And a great system of giving me abilities and skills and habits that I didn't have before. But then I really felt a deep calling in my heart to want to share this in a specific way. So I, I kind of feel dragged to do what I do now because it's so deeply in me to want to make things relevant, non-sectarian, universal and accepting of all truths and paths. It's just, it's just there and I can't ignore it. And I got to a point in my monk life where I just felt I I can't ignore this desire to want to go and spread this wisdom and insight in a way, independently, in a way that I feel will work and help people, you know, from an impact point of view. And so that was a big part of it. And the second part of it was I'd I'd literally experimented with everything with my health, even as a monk, and I tried week-long fasts, and I'd pushed myself without sleep. I used to sleep like four to six hours a night. And I got to a point where I was like, I need to take care of my health. I, I need to make my health a priority because I was so fascinated about mastering the mind that I almost neglected the needs of the body. And I can definitely say that I got to incredible places with my mind, but at the expense of sacrificing my caretaking of my body. And I felt I wanted to go back and do both of them together. Would you ever take ayahuasca or DMT or any of those things? So I did ayahuasca before it was cool. So I did it when I was like 17 or whatever it was. And that, that time Where? it wasn't. Uh, at that time, I did it in Costa Rica, I think it was at that time. Yeah. And it was just, it wasn't cool then. It wasn't trendy. I tried it out. I thought it was awesome. But this is, this is the interesting bit. So a lot of people ask me that question. And they are, and I had this, I read this awesome book recently called Gary Weber, PhD, who wrote a book called Beyond Thought. And there they measured across a study the res- the feelings of pleasure across sex, um, psychedelics and the non-dual state. And they found that, let me get this right because I don't want to say it wrong. Gary Weber, when they ranked the pleasure potential and the pleasure experience from each of these three, sexual orgasm ranked at eight, psychedelics ri- ranked at nine, 9.5 and the non-dual state or what? you know, Taos would call, do something different, Buddhists would call something different, Krishna consciousness, whatever you want to name it, that was ranked as 10 out of 10. So the actual, even scientifically proven version of experiencing pleasure, the highest form was through meditation and highest form was through reaching a non-dual state. So for me, my my thoughts on this is I'm not against it. I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't stop anyone from doing it. My thing is, anything that happens from an external item or something that's induced from something external never feels like you earned it. It never feels like you got there yourself. And hence you become a dependent person on that experience. Whereas when you've built something, it's your experience to go back to at any point. And the thing I love about that is that there's, there's, this awesome mo- mo- uh, there's this awesome part in this movie called Limitless where Robert De Niro is talking to Bradley Cooper and Bradley Cooper's taking a pill to be limitless. And Robert De Niro goes, he goes, you know what, you've, I know you've taken something. I know you, you think you're smarter than you are, but because you haven't worked for it, you don't know how to use it. And therefore you will fall down. Therefore you will fail. And it's, it's such an interesting, and I feel the same way, that any experience that's coming from anything external, we will feel insecure when we don't have it. Whereas when you've meditated and you've really worked hard at building those experiences and that discipline and going deep, you know you can access that at any point in your life. And that's the beauty of of doing it yourself, you know, to, to get there yourself. That's good, and I yeah.
0: see why you are, uh, why you cited stoicism as one of the, your um, like interests or formative philosophical influences because there is a degree of asceticism and denial in that and that denial is not meant to be self-punishing or self-flagellating but actually a way of accessing a truth that as you have uh, wonderfully described not dependent on external coordinates or stimulation of any kind I suppose because I'm lucky enough to be in recovery so I don't drink don't take drugs one day at a time and have to be very mindful about my connection to external stimulation I've sort of been shown that I've been shown the truth of what you've just said but because the hunger for in pleasure pleasure is its facsimile pleasure is its shadow pleasure is its imitation but the thing I love God in a kind of a way that's sort of sometimes quite savage Mm. like ah (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah. I must have this now <laughs> you know and i become sort of angry about the material world and i become angry about the illusion but we are in this body we're in this body for a reason we've obviously got something to learn something to do mm-hmm. something to you know like these things have got to coalesce we've got to make sense of it like when you tell me that thing you know I watch like lots of videos about people doing DMT and ayahuasca. I get off on it because I like the psychedelics I like the vividness I like the colour but you know like I look at those books you look at too and the bag of bag and when you hear those stories about Krishna and snakes and there's colours and there's internal dimensions and people are disappearing these are beautiful there's battlefields with gods on and serpents and gold and chariots I mean it's for me these great books are describing something that is accessible through human consciousness and I would agree with you that you know the point isn't it that you want to if someone was to put you in a room the less things you would have to take in that room with you the better well I'm going to need my wife I'm going to need my kids you're going to have to bring me some heroin I'm going to need some chocolate (laughs) hobnobs yeah. bring my playstation bring and red Redemption too
1: bring Wait, those cookies more cookies than that
0: i want your cookies as well <laughs> oh, those are my cookies all right well i'm keeping mine as well
1: <laughs> yeah it's true and, and and that's you know i'm so glad that it, it makes me feel as much as i love to have challenging thought and alternative opinions in my life too i don't love being around people who all agree with me but sitting with you here having had very different experiences in life coming from very different backgrounds but to come to somewhat of the same thoughts and ideas or aligned at least it it gives me great confidence and and it makes me feel extremely happy because i feel like i try my best to second guess question myself really dive deeper into these truths and what you said about being alone is really interesting because this one of my favorite studies i have to mention it because it aligns so well with what you said they uh, they asked a group of people if they would If they could pay them any amount to give themselves an electric shock would they do it these people said no these people were then put into a room for 15 minutes and said you can either be alone with your thoughts for 15 minutes or give yourselves an electric shock and 21% of women gave themselves an electric shock and about 63% of men gave themselves an electric shock because people just don't wanna be alone with their thoughts. Well, I'd like to stay alone with the electric shocks.
0: So. <laughs> just leave me alone with my
1: shocks. Yeah. Oh, oh, God,
0: oh, another one.
1: <laughs> yeah, give me those notes yeah. and
0: attach it where I want. Mind your own business. Take it with you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, you're quite right, you're quite right. Now, yeah. why do you think? what do you think you're tapping into with the success of uh, your online
1: broadcasting?
0: What do you think it is?
1: So first of all, I just I just want to say that I feel extremely grateful and humbled by all the success that has been received online. Because when I started making videos, I've been teaching these principles and studying them and learning them for the past 13 years of my life. And I was teaching in universities and teaching in schools and teaching at corporate companies, etc. I was trying to share what I learned, but I started making videos in 2016 without a hope of where they would go and just wanted to make content make wisdom accessible make it viral and make it entertaining and make it something that didn't feel like a chore to listen to or watch make it something that was easily shareable Mm. because i always struggled with talking about these topics to people who didn't know about them i was like how do you get someone who's never thought about these ideas to start thinking about them talking about them and sharing them and i had no idea where the videos would go so the fact that they've received an incredible number of views etc is just extremely humbling for me and I feel grateful for it and I think it comes from a place of people searching for new thoughts ideas alternative methods of living online because they're not finding them in their friends they're not finding them in their communities they're not finding them in their families so people are naturally turning to online to build new communities and you have a community that loves the direction you've been taking online and i think that's what the online world allows us to do connect internationally with millions and billions of people so for me there's one thing is the need of people looking for new thought that they can't find in their homes, etc. The the second thing I believe is that we live in a culture where you literally see the same thing everywhere. So you look at a newsstand, there's a news there's a headline. You go onto the news website, there's a headline. You Mm. turn on the news, it's the same headline. And I think people are tired of just finding the same things being broadcasted to them in different ways everywhere. And sometimes you can pick up a paper or even read a website for three days and it's exactly the same story, just been spun in four different ways. I think people aren't, you know, people aren't getting any satisfaction or fulfillment from just reading negative news or news. And they're looking for other answers. What do you think about politics, politics? So my take on politics is just, it's... And and actually, I I can't quote who, but I met a very interesting man recently, extremely political his whole life, been very successful in writing the speeches of some of the greatest politicians, had an amazing dinner with him. And he said to me that he doesn't feel, and and it beats him up inside, he doesn't feel that politics is going to bring about the changes that humanity needs. And he thinks it's going to come from spirituality, which for me was huge, because this man is a politician through and through. And so for me, politics is is somewhere where I don't really feel confident and comfortable to talk too much because I don't feel well versed in it it's not my area of expertise it's not my area of genius but it's but it is a space that I feel that people need to stand up for their beliefs people need more integrity in what they believe in and 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 follow up on what they're sharing but in terms of how it affects people that's the part that worries me the most mm. that ultimately just picking out a few tweets and turning that into news In my opinion that isn't news that's that's just getting fascinated with a you know with a with a little piece of uh, distraction it was always assumed that like the uh, kind
0: of content that people wanted online was a kind of a reflection of what's happening more broadly in the commercial and broadcasting realm like you know fast things that lead to uh, titillating or stimulating content around celebrity or sex or whatever and of course that's true because that is an aspect of you know who we are so it will be reflected in any medium but also people are interested in going deeper. Um, I feel like w- what you said there about spirituality and politics is true because in a way the the sense for me is that Politics is, as we understand it now, and it's a very broad subject. It's almost sort of laughed at myself saying, "What do you think about politics?" Because it's such a sort of big question. Do you like yeah. politics? Do you like colours? Um, but like, uh, but what I feel is, is that <laughs> politics is tied to a kind of, like, you know, sort of ideas such as nationhood, ethnicity, power, economics, all of which are kind of what the truths of them are concealed. Like when you said just there that you'll read the same story repackaged. It feels to me that what's happening, whether deliberately or otherwise, the options and alternatives that we're being presented with within the framework, take, for example, some of the most binary issues that define literally our time right now. Brexit, Trump, ethno-nationalism, the rise of the right. Like These things are... I feel like, well, why just this or that? Why just this or that? Neither yeah. of these views represent what I want. Totally. That, this yeah. is neither of these things are saying, oh, oneness, kindness, yes. love. You're sort of told that those things are all wishy-washy claptrap that don't belong in the world. But people actually now, it's we're starting to intuit and indeed experience mm-hmm. that, no, actually, that's the most important stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the answer is in the paradoxes. I don't think the answer is in the blacks and whites. There's so much more grey and it's harder to explore grey. And that's why we struggle. That's why we try and make it so separate and distinct and divided because it's it's easier to process for the human mind. We love boxes and separation. Mm. And same with countries and cities and towns and football and sports. And then, you know, I know we both like football, but even that kind of the dividing element of it, of putting everything in a box allows us to assimilate it better, but it doesn't necessarily create the best experience.
0: You're right, I think, Jay. And perhaps it has to do with what you said before about language and the kind of language you use with yourself, that you have to make a decision of whether to say I've had a productive day or I've had a busy day. You or know, a you, hectic day. Or... Right, how you sort of view your own life. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and so, so uh, systems... Uh, are kind of necessary, necessary for human beings to function in the world so something as simple as a football match with 11 members on each team for 90 minutes got the most all oh, right I can <laughs> understand that I, I get yeah. it um, now mate where do you see your evolving role I want to talk to you about your intentions I want to talk to you about your personal life and do you see it as a separate thing that you protect so you're married no. and stuff Yeah, are precious about that no
1: I can talk about it your wife it. looks a bit like you don't she yeah we what, get that you? all the time vain, no. the pair of you <laughs> well, vain people well, we marrying that- <laughs> themselves. <laughs> they're, they're, I remember seeing on, on Channel 4 a show ages ago. I can't remember. I literally cannot remember. But it, it talked about how people end up marrying people who look like themselves because we're so obsessed with ourselves. And There's Something about this <laughs> hairy guy I like. <laughs> <laughs> literally. And, and so anyway, yeah, my, my wife's incredible. She's, she's amazing. We, we met around five years ago. We got married two years ago. Where? And what uh, was it like? So we met in London. We met in London. She actually used to come to a lot of my sessions that I used to teach on meditation and philosophy. And so it was awesome that she was interested, very much keen on on learning more. She's now officially a better meditator than I am. She wakes up earlier than me. She mm. she meditates better than me, longer than me. She's... Uh, she's are she's... you chanting or you what, type, tell me what type of meditation are you doing? So I do everything from breathwork, visualization and mantra. Those are my three key practices. So how do you talk me through that two hours? Yeah, sure. So breathwork for me is really about... What's the proper word for that? Vipassana? Uh Yeah. So, yeah, for me, it's, for me, breathwork's really important because I really feel that we experience one of two things. We're either experiencing our mind ahead of our body. So everyone's had that experience where their mind's racing and the body's like, oh, I'm just tired. Put me back in bed. Or we experience the other extreme, which is the mind's feeling really tired and the body's having to rush around. So the mind's like, oh, give me a break. But the body's like, no, but I need to do this and this. And so for me, breath work really realigns my mind and my body in the morning and brings it back together. Because when I wake up, I can be really creative sometimes. Be like, oh my God, I've got a million ideas of videos I want to make. And I'm like, no, look, just calm down. The body's not ready yet. You know, or you wake up, and if you do, which I've I really avoid now, but if you do, look at your phone first thing. You've got all these messages coming, in. your mind has to go from zero to hundred miles per hour in two seconds, literally like the fastest car in the world. And the body's just like, oh look, just give me a break. I just woke up. And so for me, the passing and breath work just allows me to align my body and mind. So that's why I do it. So what, you just follow the breath? So what I do is I count and I count my breath inwards and outwards to be at the same time. So if you're ever feeling like your mind or body are ahead of each other, if you breathe in for the same amount of time as you breathe out, and count the numbers in your head and visualize them. For five or something. Yeah, four is usually the number that we can do. If you can, when you practice more, you'll do seven and maybe do 11. But most of us can't even breathe in because we're shallow breathers. So being able to breathe in for a count of four and breathe out, we can do it now if you want.
0: Yeah, I'm doing it. This is good broadcasting. (laughs) Just imagine someone playing snooker. (laughs) <laughs> or yourself swimming in limitless oceans. Yeah, <laughs> golf. My wife's dad's a golf. You can't, can't disc golf, Jay. Oh, sorry. sorry. Otherwise the missus. Oh, sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Didn't <laughs> I. Sorry, Laura. Sorry. I'm so sorry. But uh, yeah. Sorry, Bernard.
1: <laughs> he won't be listening to this. He thinks I'm a bloody maniac. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's lucky. Lucky for me. Uh, but then then visualization. I, I am uh, such a huge fan of visualization. Oh, go on. Tell us. I like that as well. Because yeah. it's vivid. Go on. Uh, the first time I started hearing about visualization was when I realized that David Beckham visualized free kicks when he before he took them. Uh, Lewis Hamilton visualized the racetrack before he races. He visualizes it. Does he He visualizes Beckham? himself driving the car on that racetrack because he knows what the track looks like, obviously. So he's visualizing how he's taking that bend, how he's taking each part of the car, etc. And same with Beckham taking free kicks. And when I started looking, when I started thinking about, it, I thought, oh wow, that's pretty cool, and that was the first time I'd. I'd come across it. And for me, it wasn't visualization as a meditation then. I just thought, this is cool. You know, here are some cool people doing it. And then I started to do it. Before I go on stage, when I'm speaking at an event, I'll visualize myself walking onto stage. I'll visualize myself saying the first thing. So whenever I'm doing something that's pressureful, or anything that I feel I feel stressed towards, I visualise myself doing it the way I want to first, which almost reduces the experience when you actually go out there. Because you've lived that life once. The next time you walk out there, you've taken away the stress and the anxiety. Even
0: if it wasn't a performance thing or a high-level thing, such as Lewis Hamilton, would you
1: recommend it? Say you have to have a conversation with someone. Totally. If you've got to have a conversation with someone that's really challenging, Observe and visualize A, yourself saying what you need to say, visualize yourself in their seat, listening to you, and then visualize yourself as an observer too is this what you're doing in the morning
0: you're doing <laughs> no, this know. breath and then you got to visualize the whole
1: day no, no, it'll no. be bedtime <laughs> visualizing something and I sit I pre- here
0: doing nothing so no.
1: pretending breath work takes breath work takes like four minutes eight four minutes, minutes yeah, breath work's not long it's, it's a super short part of the process cool well that and just gets you in alignment totally that helps me just my because when I meditate otherwise on mantra my mind just goes everywhere mm. because I've got so many ideas and then I know what my to-do list is etc we all have that and that's what I feel is people's biggest struggle with meditation is that you need something to prepare you before you meditate it's like when you cook you need to first chop the vegetables and gather all the stuff before you chuck it in a pan you're right right right, right. Writing that no, down sorry well. you know what i mean don't just tip
0: it all in <laughs> the pan that's why my casseroles are ridiculous so yeah. you, for, you lay out the ingredients you chop a new way and i and even in either sense. And then, so you do four minutes of the breathing. Yeah. Then what are you doing in your visualisation? Is it bespoke depending on what day you Yeah, it depends on got. the day.
1: Yeah, it depends on the day. Sometimes I'll, I'll take that out. Do you not the...
0: like to trust our Lord? Like I sometimes just go, like sometimes
1: I go, Lord, this is you, mate, because I don't know what's going to happen here. Yeah, But I do that quite a I lot. I do that. I do that on the day at the moment when I feel it. Of course I do. I 100% do that. But I do feel that it's my responsibility to get my intentions right. And so one of my biggest visualisations that I do do in the morning is I so I believe that good intentions in our life are seeds and bad intentions are weeds, and so what so I seeds and, weed system. Seeds and weeds system weeds every good. single day. What see what why I,
0: he's getting the followers. <laughs> he's gonna get the likes with the seeds and weeds.
1: Every that's, that's very snoop. It's very snoop. <laughs> is yeah, it? yeah. So okay. Different different yeah. seeds and yeah, different weeds. Yeah, weed. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, thanks, mate. Go on. Yeah. Uh, what, no, so I was saying. So what I do is I reflect on my intentions visually every day and i think about how many deals am i taking just because they make me money or how many videos am i making just because they get me views or how much stuff am i doing just for the vanity or just for the fame or success or what i think is is going to be good for me like financially economic like how the how the default mind is set up to think about security as opposed to Love and compassion and wanting to change the world and wanting to make a different place. And I'm constantly battling with the two. So what I do every day is I'll reflect on my intentions. I'll reflect on the deals I've just signed. I'll reflect on uh, things I'm being offered. And I'll literally look at each offer, deal, whatever it is, each item of thought. And I'll say, is that a seed or a weed? And if it's a weed, I'll pluck it out. I'll literally visualize myself plucking it out of the, the garden of my mind and pulling it out and taking it out. And if it's a seed, then I'll water it. And I'll say, okay, I want that to grow because I am doing that for the right intention. And that practice has really helped me. What is your barometer by which you, I love this weed system. I like it, it should be a game show. (laughs) <laughs>
0: uh, it'd be good, wouldn't it? It'd be a good game show if like, you could look in people's people minds. On. If <laughs> you could
1: project people's minds into a. We're going to have screen. to rely on them, to be honest. Yeah, or <laughs> that's perhaps not going to bring back the electric lie detectors. Tell the truth. Shock. That was yeah.
0: a weed. No, it's a seed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, it was a weed. Um, like, yeah. but, so I, I like that. That's really good. Yeah. But what is the barometer yeah. for
1: evaluating, Jay? So for me, I usually write down each option that I have in life. And I think we all have different options in life and then I'll place a word above it that feels like the right emotion. So either it can be fame, I could be doing something just because of ego and fame. I could be doing something out of love. I could be doing something for money and stability. I could be doing something for uh for inspiration and passion. So I try and define why it's defining that why, that intention mm. behind it. Like why would I take that extra flight off to mm. Singapore? oh, because I'm going to make X amount of money, right? Like, And and, and literally, when you look at your life weed. like that... Yeah, or like, yeah, there you go. And, and then I'd be like, okay, that's a weed. Now, can I transform it into a seed? Is there a way for me to make it more intentional, purposeful and conscious? If I can, that's amazing. I'll do that. But if I can't, I, I need to stop taking things like that into my life. And now I understand, for anyone listening, there are times in our life where money has to be the motivator because we need security, we need stability. But when you do it intentionally at least then you don't expect that thing to bring you the greatest happiness because you know what purpose it's serving in your life. So I know a lot of people who'd love to quit their jobs and live their passion. But I'm like, no, but you know why, if you know why you're doing the job you're doing, you won't expect it to make mm, you happy. You mm, know what it serves, excellent, excellent, right? What role it serves excellent. in
0: your life. One of my mentors goes, uh, "A gen- it's a quote, I think it's George Shaw. a gentleman is never unintentionally rude. Mm, so like oh, if you're rude well, to someone, it's because <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I needed to I needed to slay you. And other than that, you are not rude to people, but there may be times, as you say, you know, yeah. this is, I see Amma once, mm, like uh, mm. she was doing that, sort of, I guess, curtain. It, oh, uh, it was out of her thing. I, Amma the Hugging Saint, yes, yes. as Jay has just gestured, <laughs> in case you don't know. Uh, like, uh, she, I was at her curtain. it was New Year's Eve, there's thousands of thousands of people there, Amma's going in and out of Kali's states of consciousness, her eyes are going white, it's intense and mental, she's like a, a, a mentor of mine and all, uh, like she, uh, there's a moment where someone I guess is playing a keyboard type thing, and it's like she thinks it's, I guess she don't like it, and she goes, oh saw It in Malalalan. I don't know it's Southern Indian dialect, she sort of, coats this geezer off and tells him to sort his keyboard out. Not overly intense or anything, but she clearly cares that that's not right. Mm. And I, in that moment, think, oh, it's not that Amma doesn't discern... Amma doesn't care, you know, because all the Amma, if you know anything about Amma, she's all about love, she's cuddling everyone, she's no judgement, no judgement, but also we have to discern. You know, like, so you're a young man, you know, our intentions are what? Our intentions are, I suppose, to that we do we not want to facilitate the creation of systems that mean that more people will have the options and choices and freedoms that we are working towards, communities based on these ideals, the replication of these systems? If so, how do we uh, make room for the various traditions and backgrounds and beliefs that people might want to join us from
1: i think the big thing for me is whatever's rewarded in society increases right whatever you reward in society increases I.e., and we were just talking about on the way up here that if someone i'm sh- if someone sees something being rewarded recognized acknowledged awarded everyone goes oh i need to do that it's like how podcasts started Everyone saw a podcast working for one or two people. and Everyone, went, oh, I need to do a podcast. And the intention was just, oh, it seems to work. It wasn't the intent. I'm not saying everyone who started a podcast feels that way. But I'm just saying a high number of things start because someone sees someone doing something successful, being rewarded, recognized, maybe winning an award and goes, oh, I need to jump on that bandwagon. Mm. When actually, if you took a step back and said, well, what's my deeper intention than just wanting to be one of the past? Wait? Weed. Yeah. Ow, that's a weed! I, I'm going to hear your voice every time <laughs> I do it. Every day now, I'm going to hear. Yeah, I, I need I, to hear you say seed though. I've only heard weed so far. Go Well, keep
0: working, Jay. Because yeah. then <laughs> like, seed, I don't give them out yeah. willy-nilly. It's amazing yeah. that I'm not swearing just out of respect for your no, system. But you what about no, but that? You, no,
1: but you can. I've never... Even I've, though I
0: like to. No, but I took it yeah. on before because you can't. Because say, for example, N-word, it's gone. P-word, gone. You know, You've got to take the ideas of the people... You know what I mean? I
1: appreciate that, but you know, I don't also judge. That's definitely not one of the things. I I was going around N worded, P worded, <laughs> <laughs> like, by the way. Yeah. All right.
0: <laughs> I am from Essex, but, you know, we're not all the same. In fact, yeah. no one's like that in Essex. Yeah.
1: So, um, all right. So, do yeah. like, so you recognize I think,
0: your intention in starting a podcast yeah. or whatever? So, how are we so going to think, develop better systems?
1: I think it's rewar- what we reward. I think what we reward needs to change. So, in, in an organization, what's rewarded is, like, if someone, for example, if in an. Let's take an organization, it's smaller, it's easier to understand than looking at the whole planet. So if we look at an organization, if you reward people who work 18 hours a day, guess what, you're gonna have a lot of people trying to work 18 hours a day and end up burnt out, depressed with mental health, right? Like that's just going to happen. Until you reward someone else or a different individual, a different group, teamwork mentality, you don't change the mentality of the majority of people that will just follow. And so that's the biggest thing and it's a very easy starting point.
0: I like that you are resourcing a lot of your wisdom from scientific study. You've got a degree in behavioralism, haven't you? Yeah,
1: loved. I loved uh, behavior science and the mind growing up. That was my biggest fascination.
0: How do you deploy that in your work now as a, a spiritual teacher?
1: I think for me, it's. I've always looked for the parallels between what I learned through spiritual traditions or ancient timeless wisdom and modern science like that's always been my fascination because i don't think they're contradictory i actually think they're very much aligned and i've only found that over and over and over again there's a great book by a british author who actually writes for the guardian he wrote a book called rethink i interviewed him a couple of years back by stephen paul and his book literally talks about how every new idea we had we actually came up with it a long time ago and how nothing is truly new. And so it's, it's fascinating to see. He talks about how like driverless cars was an idea 300 years ago, but it was just that our technology now has caught up with our imagination. But our imagination has always been extremely high. Our creativity has always been extremely high. It's just technology has now caught up with it. So So that intersection, which is what obviously we call singularity. But for me, it's more about how... If we look for the patterns, we'll find them. And, and, and something as basic as today, everyone's touting, be grateful when you wake up, be grateful in the morning, gratitude. And it's beautiful. I love it. When you look at that scientifically, it makes sense. There's tons of studies that show gratitude is better for you. It lowers your stress and it improves your happiness and meaning. I remember when I, when I trained as a monk, one of the first things we did was we were told to wake up and be grateful to Mother Earth for everything she was going to provide us for the day. Like, what else is that apart from waking up with gratitude? So these ancient practices have been there for, for from time immemorial, but now they're being scientifically validated. And I love that. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that's happening.
0: Yes. In a way, like uh, technology is like the materialization of potential wisdom. And that potential is always existing, just waiting for what we call or understand mm. as time even uh, sort of the internet and wi-fi the sort of manifestation of the idea that consciousness can transmute and transfer and travel between individuals non-verbally with uh, non-verbal uh, codes Absolutely. jay i've learned a lot from you i think i'm going to learn a lot more from you over the years generally speaking seed seed. <laughs> seed the whole podcast has been a seed for me uh, you should check out all of Jay Shetty's uh, social media presence there's much to be learned from their brilliant videos brilliant content I hope we get
1: to do more things together I feel I'm like brilliant. we will I hope so too I hope so too whenever you say that to me I get very excited
0: I wonder what it's going to be Jay it was, I was thinking about it not that I wasn't listening I was thinking about it <laughs> a little bit during while, while probably during your talking because when I'm talking I'm really <laughs> focused seed <laughs> seed um, <clears throat> (laughs) but uh yeah perhaps we need to think of something where we can collude and collaborate with some people to create some content that's you know sort of mutually beneficial but we have to make sure that it's coming from exactly the right place and being communicated in exactly the right
1: way well this is why I love what you do as well because my focus has always been how do we make education what insight wisdom philosophy has always seen very education how do you make education entertaining uh, I think you do it incredibly well through through c- comedy and through philosophy and spirituality and I'm trying to do the same thing in my own voice in my own reflections and realizations and I really believe that if we can create more content for mainstream media for t- for TV for production companies etc that really is based on intention and consciousness but is highly entertaining that will change the world quicker than any course any program any weekend Immersion, retreat, because more people will always watch television and entertainment and Netflix than they will pick up a book. And Um, I
0: think I sort of, you know, it seems that you're right. But like what, what, what concerns me slightly about that is this. Think of a film like The Matrix or a film like Avatar, right? Or that bloody Lego movie. Could like think of those three amazing films and how like how much more clear could could you imagine a film making it more clear than The Matrix? You're asleep, your energy's being used as a battery, yeah. wake up, get out of the illusion, the yeah. machines are trying to turn you into a machine. Or Avatar, the the material world you can occupy, you are a different kind of consciousness occupying a body, but we have to return to nature. Or that Lego movie, there is a greater consciousness outside of your apparent understanding of the world. I mean, they've done it in the most perfect accessible populist ways and what do we do we eat some popcorn we go home you know so like i feel that we've got to
1: force people
0: to do as i
1: say (laughs) 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 and i think you're spot and and that's where i believe that that is level one and then it's unpacking the story for people it's Mm. then having the follow-up of where does that go and i don't think that's ever been done before that you know the follow-up doesn't mean another movie the follow-up means, okay, now there's a lot of people who are a community around this movie. How do we help that community unpack and live all of this stuff that they've just learned? Jesus but anyway, Christ. we'll figure it out. I haven't all got right. it all figured out. I'm trying to figure it out. We'll
0: figure it out. Hopefully, we'll what day is it? Sorry, is this, what is this? The podcast generally happens on a Saturday. So we, we, if we can have it done
1: by next Friday, yeah. Okay. seed. Yeah, we'll put it up on the board outside. Nice With one. chalk. Yeah,
0: let's get that up there. We'll chalk <laughs> that up. Revolution starts sort of about tea time.
1: I love it. But thank you, Russ. I'm so grateful, honestly, for you speaking to me and being here and yeah thank you so much we will do more i feel yeah. the same gratitude cheers mate yeah thank nice you time. Time. thank you
0: i hope you enjoyed jay shetty he's a, a beautiful fella uh, an interesting man and i care for him very much now remember let me know what you thought of it go instagram Look up True Russell Brand and go, yeah, I liked that, Russell. Look at some pictures of my dog and me looking cute as buttons, the pair of us. Or you can tweet me at Rusty Rockets with uh, the hashtag under the skin. Go on the YouTube channel, look at some of those spiritual... What do we call them? Should we just call them spiritual jabs, little spiritual hits, little spiritual shots... What was that thing I'm going to start called tribe? And what's this new thing I'm going to call myself rude guru? Am I doing all these things really? Starting a thing called tribe where we teach people to set up their own tribes and then at a the critical point go, we are no longer paying into your systems. We're no longer paying taxes or mortgages. Collapse the international financial system. And well, that, well, I mean, it's going to get tricky at that point. Next week, Wendy Mandy, Wendy Mandy. You're going to love listening to Wendy Mandy. She's a next level spiritualist and healer and shaman talking about she talks about psychedelics somewhat but she doesn't fetishize psychedelics she talks primarily about the inner connection that can be achieved through spiritual techniques so i mean you'll like that uh it says here subscribe to the podcast but i mean you can if you want but also go to luminary and subscribe to that because that's where under the skin will be after two or three i think we've got three more episodes and then we're moving on to luminary if you want, also check out old ones we've done. Fern Cotton, amazing person. Lawrence Scott with three T's on this bit of paper. Shocking. Lawrence Scott. T- 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 Simon Amstel from season one. The Gracie Brothers, Jiu-Jitsu Masters season one. Anyway, we love you. And I'm doing some more show, live shows in Los Angeles. So, uh, and also, I think there's a few tickets left for Slough on Monday. So pop to russellbrand.com and snap them up. My latest book, Mentors, is available as an audiobook on Kindle or in a hardback, hard as a rock the back of it is, and check out Rebirth. I love you enormously. I'm tremendously grateful for your time and attention. There are so many things you could be doing. There are so many things you are going to do. Thank you for your time.